and welcome to Building Our Future with me, Bert Broadhead. Today, we're joined by an expert in the converging worlds of art and business to discuss how an art strategy can deliver financial, social, and environmental benefits for buildings, spaces, places, and their users. My guest today is Martha Weidman, CEO and co-founder of Nine Dot Arts, a company which uses the power of original art to transform spaces into experiences. They bridge the gap between arts and business. With knowledge and experience, they curate inspiring art collections that show beauty, creativity, and purpose. Martha, um, a big welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here, Bert. And thank you for letting me just uh, purely plagiarize your um, your business intro from your website. It sounded great. <laughs> it sounded familiar. It always sounds better with a British accent. So, <laughs> Could you just tell us how, how you came to where you are, whether your background is in the arts or founded in, in real estate? So arts is a natural talent, natural ability. And business in real estate is something that I had to learn through hard work and study. And uh, happy to now be at this intersection where we get to work every day, bringing the creative world to the business world and enhancing both. Where did that inflection point come? So you, you started off with a career in arts. And then what, what led you to trying to bridge this gap? So my partner, Molly Casey, and I worked for a company called McGrath & Braun that was about 25 years old. And when the founders retired, we purchased the company from them and began Nine Dot Arts as our own brand. And what was lovely about that experience is that we were able to build upon this, you know, almost three-decade history of the founders who had put together that initial company of bringing arts and business together. In the U.S., this became a very popular theme during the 1960s when David Rockefeller hired the then curator from the MoMA to put together an art collection for Rockefeller Plaza in New York. And as the story goes, when he walked through the space with his architect after the building was finished, he said, it feels very sterile in here. And the architect said, well, why don't you just, you know, put some art on the walls? And so he uh, reached out to the curator of the MoMA, put a collection together, and from that point forward, really set the standard of culture and business uh, being aligned. And that story sounds kind of quite familiar from my kind of indirect experience over here in the UK, that the early embraces of art were, it was in offices and, and companies kind of having their own art platforms on, on walls, etc. And that, that seems to have spread in, in relatively recent times to kind of buildings, public places and, uh, and, and more to the wider real estate landscape. Have you seen that similar journey in, in your business? I think that the business world is really only beginning to understand what the creative community can do and the ways in which the artists transform a space, not just with a painting on the wall, but thinking about more immersive experiences where it's an installation that you can walk through that is literally bigger than you and takes over your entire space and being. 
And with that kind of concept, it really reimagines the landscape of how art can transform space and how businesses can use artists to create these distinct vignettes as you travel through a, a development or a city or an airport, right? You have multiple different experiences along the way and art can be a way to make each of these vignettes, landmarks, gateways, you know, kind of a closed uh smaller space if you want a more intimate gathering, but artwork can be used to create moments at each level of experience. So I, I suppose anyone who's as unimaginative as me thinks of art and thinks of paintings on the wall. Can do you give us some examples of, of kind of art installations you've done which, which go kind of well beyond that? Sure. So I'll give one example uh, that we worked on. It was an entire city block and in the city block, we worked on creating an art-filled experience in the alley. And so in that alley, we actually worked with about a dozen artists from around the world. Some artists from the UK, the London police came out and did murals on the wall. So we have a number of different murals. There is a connecting bridge that connects two sets of buildings on either side, the north and the south side of the alley. And across that bridge, that land bridge or that building bridge underneath it, typically would create a very dark space. We wanted to create an, an environment that was welcoming and didn't feel like this dark, scary alley, which is so common in many downtowns in the U.S. So in this connecting building bridge, the underneath is mirrored. It's a mirrored installation with colored lights. And then there is a drop-down sculpture in neon that says the words here. And it's reflected in the mirror above. And it's giving you this calling presence. You are here. You have arrived. And it's right in the center of that alley space. So you experience murals on both sides, a mirrored installation underneath the buildings that reflects light and brightness and vitality and creates this draw for people to come in off of the street. We have some landmark installations at either end, a giant milk splash that's paying homage to the history of the dairy block as the former Windsor Dairy site. And then butter churns that you can crank and play songs for you as you go through. So it's meant to really create multiple touch points and layers and textures all the way throughout. I should probably ask you whether, whether what kind of impact that's had on the way the building is, is or the way the area is used and interacted with. Yes. Well, you know, it can, art can be different for different people. And I understand that in the world of real estate, you know, it's so important to be able to make a business case. And when you look at developers who are incorporating artwork into their sites, most of them report faster lease ups, higher retention rates, lower overall project costs as a, re a result of creative placemaking. Uh, and uh, do you, are you actively tracking those kind of ROI metrics? 
you know, it can be a challenging thing to track, uh, but I participate on a couple of different boards here in the U.S. and at Nine Dot Arts. We dedicate time to researching the value and the importance of art in projects. We actually put together a study last year, uh, and the study is called the State of the Art. And in that study, we surveyed over uh, 500 people from the commercial real estate sector. And two-thirds of them are certain that art adds enough value that it pays for itself. It ha Art has, as our survey respondents said, a critical role in the making of memorable places. And almost half of them believe that the artwork adds ROI beyond its cost. I read a, a ULI report. Urban Land Institute, where they're breaking down the, the different types of ROI. So you've got financial, social, and environmental potential returns that, that art can bring. I suppose there's always going to be a challenge in, in trying to really ascribe a precise monetary impact to art. But what, whatever the case, it definitely seems like it's a trend or at least uh, an idea which is gaining momentum and, and more developers and investors appear to be embracing it. I think um, even before developers, the, the general public is embracing it. And ultimately, developers have to keep up with the demands of the public. In the U.S., our ULI report uh, surveyed Americans and 91% of them believe that art and culture facilities improve quality of life. And 86% believe that they are important to local businesses and to the economy. So it, that's put out um, by the Americans for the Arts. And our surveys there really help to identify the value of what the people want and therefore, that can guide how real estate should respond. And, and so in, in your role, when you're putting together um, an art strategy or a, or a master plan, how closely does your role align with, with that of an architect? They're very closely aligned, but completely different purposes. Um, architects are generally rule followers. And we get to do the opposite and really kind of break the mold in terms of what's, you know, what's, what's possible. So an architect will come up with a, with a great vision for how people move through the site, how the building can impact the world around it. And then we come in to take those ideas and enhance them and take their vision and, you know, give it uh, the extra oomph, you know, a bit, a bit of just a little bit extra everywhere, the je ne sais quoi of, of the experience. And in those projects working with architects, we're typically involved. Here we would have the designation of schematic design coming before design development and then construction documents. Um, I'm not sure if that's the same process you all follow architecturally, but in that process, we would typically be involved around 60% schematic design in looking at early stage placements for how traffic patterns will be impacted by the types of artwork that go in. And most importantly, when it comes to construction stage, 
integrating artwork into the architecture of the building itself. You may have seen on our website portfolio images of our work. And one of the main images on our site is that hand that's held from the ceiling at the Maven Hotel. That hand is suspended from aircraft cable that go onto an I-beam that's you know behind the wooden framing. And then the I-beam is supporting this about 500-pound uh, object. I don't know how many kilos that is, but it's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot, yeah. A couple hundred yes. for sure. So, so that, that's the installation is very much kind of an, in, an intrinsic part of the building design in, in that instance. And, and what, what kind of um, rough proportion of your work tends to be this kind of ground up strategizing rather than retrofitting buildings or places with, with art? We really follow market cycles with regards to new construction versus renovation. And some of, uh, for me, some of the most exciting work that we do is historic renovation because you can always uncover something new. And we like to bring in artists to document the process. So as demolition is happening in a historic building, we'll photograph every step of the way and create, you know, a documentary book at the end that can be a reminder to what we found during the journey of discovery. It's almost like uh, archaeology in a way when you're working with a historic site. And in, in new construction, you know, you get to play a bigger role in uh, determining exactly where those spaces go versus letting the site determine it for you. Okay, that, that's interesting. So I think that, that partly answers my, my next question, which was you know, how, how do you determine what way you're going with a strategy do do you want something kind of sympathetic and subtle or is your or, or is the kind of aim of a specific site to to really challenge with with something which is going to be not to everyone's tastes <laughs> well it depends on what we're going for if we're trying to make a big splash and a big impact and develop a space that people will talk about uh, we'll likely go with with something that's quite might be challenging right so that people really remember it but then we'll provide also moments of reprieve so it's never one note right you're looking for multiple different types of engagement so you'll see something big high impact and then you might find a, a moment of rest or relaxation Okay, so you, you've you've got a, a full a full range, and you're trying to cater for, I suppose, as many different points of view as as you can. Is it kind of considered good practice to to root the art um, or the strategy of the art in kind of local context, not necessarily just in terms of the content, but also in terms of who is creating the art? So that's a great question, and we like to work with both. So when when we're engaged with a project and we're trying to determine who is going to be working on it, the artists that are local to the site are going to be the first ones who develop instant rapport with the community once they're engaged. So if you're building a cafe, retail, hotel, office building, mixed use, transit-oriented site, 
whatever this looks like, engaging the local community will provide uh, instant support for your project. So that's important. And at the same time, you want to think globally about artists who are out there, especially when it comes to some of the larger scale landmark installations, and be competitive in the artists that you select. It should be a competitive process so that the developer can find the best artist for the role. For example, one of the uh, works that we just installed this past week is from an artist named David Harbour in Oxfordshire in the UK. And so that piece was shipped over on the slow boat, installed by a crew here. And, you know, the entire process was able to be done over uh, WhatsApp and uh, video calls. And then we did a webinar to talk about the success and included, you know, Marcus Fairs with Dezine, Argent, uh, Morwena Hall from King's Cross. And it was really lovely to have everyone together in the same room. The great thing about the art world now is that it is global and it can connect all of us. And so in, in that instance, had you, had you specifically targeted David for, for a, for a, a kind of specific purpose or is it is it tendered is it a competition like how how's that selection process come about so we have a database of artists in an app that we built called dotfolio and in our database of artists there are about 10,000 artists from around the world so we begin by putting together a portfolio of artists and works that we feel would be best for the developer's vision of the project and what they're looking for. From there, we go to a short list and then we will pay the artist a design stipend to create a site-specific design of the shortlisted artists. And that's the competitive process. Then the client can select the artist who puts together the design they feel best matches the site. And David Harbour was one of the artists selected because he spends his time focusing on sculptures that are inspired by nature. And the client for this project that he was selected for is Denver Water. And so David made this beautiful water drop shaped sculpture with a reflective base that is an inspired view of this natural source gives life uh, and is is that now in situ it is it actually just went in last week so just a few days oh. ago i shall uh, i shall google it and um, add it add it to the, the show notes <laughs> yeah um, i'll send you a photo so, so on one hand you've got you've got the art world you know now functioning as a as a global market so how, how do you kind of maintain the balance with kind of community collaboration, kind of ensuring that people have got enough of a voice, but that fundamentally you are still driving your own vision for the site? We like to put together committees for larger scale projects. And so we'll have local art ambassadors for uh, larger scale work that we're doing. And the local art ambassadors are the ones who really stay tied in with the local creative community where the projects are happening. So it's important to engage everyone along the way. And part of the process 
of and the service that we provide is to guide developers in establishing that vision, getting the right community partners in the room, because at the end of all of this, we're all working towards the same goal. So there's there's no shortage of collaboration in getting the right people, but also guiding the process. Because you do need some expertise, not only to create the right group of community members, you also need expertise in selecting the artist who has the right experience and the right vision and the right approach that aligned with the brand of the project. And then you need a group that can follow through on the execution because fabricating this work can take, you know, months and then shipping, installing and providing the marketing and PR to turn this into an asset for the property. All of that is critical to the success of this broader vision. So I suppose that that uh, leads to an obvious natural next question, which is what, what's the most challenging thing you've, you've worked on so far from a technical perspective? One of the uh, technical parts that was quite challenging is one of the early responsive tech installations that we worked on. So in uh, 2012, we did a tech installation with a big screen that's at the end of a university hallway. And on that screen is a giant view of lips zoomed in on the screen. And as students walk down the hallway, if they're talking loudly or shouting, the lips will remind them, shh, the class is in session. That piece is uh, responsive, and so it gets louder as the students get louder, and then quieter <laughs> if the students are quiet. But technology changes programming changes and now this installation is almost 10 years old so the maintenance for updating the code and the the materials and hardware uh, is something that you might not anticipate in the early stage but you have to maintain into the future right so so in some ways kind of digital art has a um not necessarily a shorter shelf life but a, a kind of more labor-intensive shelf life um, than more traditional installations. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, and, and everything we've talked about so far has, has been kind of, um, I suppose, at, at the inception of, of an installation or how, how you get to that point. Can, is an art strategy static? I know you, you do an awful lot of, of kind of programming, so where you're, you're constantly updating... Um, uh, or even running events or, or updating installations. Do you work on things which are simply kind of there and, and that's it? Absolutely. Our approach to different types of artwork on sites is based in typology. So at the early stage, for example, we are working on a 25-year master plan for a 60-acre site that will be 14 million square feet in development. It's a new neighborhood in downtown Denver. This site 
has an art master plan that identifies different typologies and the artwork is apportioned by zone. For example, there are train stations and entry points. At those stations and entry points, we have what we call landmark installations. These are large scale, you know, think uh, something that might be, you know, multiple stories high, three or four stories high that you could see from a great distance that mark your entry into a particular site. So landmark installations are one method and those are permanent because you want them to be evergreen so that people can continuously come back and find their way and use them as a wayfinding tool. Then you'll have a typology that's based around discovery. So discovery is small details. This might be poetry written into the concrete of the sidewalk. This might be uh, small glass bluebirds and there's a scavenger hunt map and you can find all of the small glass bluebirds throughout the neighborhood. So discovery is really meant to reward the curious visitor and develop over time. And then you'll have areas that are celebration. And in the celebration moments, you'll have uh, permanent installations that are conducive to gathering. So they might be low and long. They might be uh, light installations that hang down and create a canopy. So the space feels a bit more intimate, like a place you would stay for a while and detailed uh, hardscaping or patterns in the groundwork that create the sense of arrival. And then the last category is impermanent. So things that are always changing and shifting. This could be uh, the paper fashion show where you have models coming through and creating uh, artwork dresses. You could have um, a, a poetry reading. You could have live music. You could have artists doing live mural paintings, but those are the things that are temporary and create an event. And people will want to come back and see that because it's something that's changing, but regular. So those kind of Im impermanent installations or, or events, uh, is, is a goal that you, you ultimately want the community to be kind of driving the programming or I'm sorry for coming back to community and collaboration, or is this something which is always going to require um, your kind of input to, to drive forward? How, how labor intensive is it? It really depends on the scope of what we're doing and the scope of the project. For some of our clients, we actually help them hire a program manager to be permanently based. If we're talking about a multi-year intensive uh, program requirement, we'll set up the infrastructure and the foundation of the plan and then help them find a manager on site to schedule that ongoing. And unfortunately, as with much of life recently, um, I imagine events have been pretty, pretty um, hampered by, um, by lockdowns and social distancing, etc. Um, have you seen kind of any, any innovative ways of uh, people working their way around this to 
still find a way to perform? You know, one of my favorite ways to see performers right now is on Instagram. There are a number of musicians and artists who are doing live performances in the evenings. When they get home, they'll play their piano and sing. I love the work of Wes Watkins. He's a local musician, and I will listen to him, you know, in the evening after supper, listen to his live performances, and he plays the piano and will sing for about 20 or 30 minutes. And it's just a lovely way to feel connected to something familiar. Uh, it's also incredible that we're all going through this same thing as a global community. So um, there are also there are artists across the world who are, you know, posting live performances on their um, Instagram TV that you can watch and engage with in real time. Uh, there's an, a musician whom I love called Mathoni, the drummer queen. She's based in Nairobi. And I get to see Mathoni perform about every day. And pre-pandemic, that never would have happened. And now she's recording every day and playing songs in what she calls her essential services. And her essential services are bringing music to the world. You, you touched earlier on the fact that there is this kind of trend of globalization of art. And I suppose Instagram is a great um, medium for, for enabling that. But with um, COVID effects, et cetera, do you think in terms of live events, there's, there's going to be a revival of, of kind of localism? Absolutely. For the next two to three years, local artists are where it's at. <laughs> We're not going to be able to have you know, Bono come in and see the performance of 30,000 people in the stadium, that's not going to be something we can do into the future. But what we, at least in the next couple of years, right? But what we can do is we could see Mathoni in the park. We could see Wes Watkins at a small cafe. Local artists, local performers will bring the elements of hope and liveliness that we need to make it through this transition. That seems to be a, a kind of open goal almost for, um, sorry, that's a, a British expression, but for, for property owners where, you know, obviously no one can, not everyone can host concerts of 30,000 people, but, but creating small temporary venues from whether it's public realm or, or, underutilized real estate ought to be achievable for quite a few people. Absolutely. And artists are so creative. They are, in my view, the best way to think and bring liveliness and bring activity and activation to a space that otherwise might be empty. I'll give one example. Uh, in a neighborhood not too far from where I live, there's an, a 1920s bungalow, and the bungalow is going to be turned down and turned into a larger scale development. It's an old home. As the property sat vacant for a few months, a group of artists called the Rainbow Militia approached the developer and said, could we, could we do a takeover in your space? And the property owner developer agreed to this. And because all of the theaters are shut down, 
the performance troupe of the Rainbow Militia was able to turn the bungalow into this haunted house of sorts for Halloween and created vignettes. And each room in the historic bungalow became a little mini theater. And you could go through and have, it was almost like a private performance. Every room was a show for you. And then you went upstairs, downstairs. There was a whole narrative tying the thing together. And by the end, you finish in the backyard where a three-person band plays four songs just for you. And that's the completion of the set. And so all that took was an empty property and a splash of creativity. And the whole place came to life. That's awesome. That's kind of one one of my big hopes for 2021 is that as a result of kind of all the disruption we've seen, we will see, you know, a, a, a resurgence of um, whether it's creativity, entrepreneurialism, or um, people just, or, and, and things becoming more personal. Um, so that, that sounds like a great kind of initiative if, if we end up seeing more of that. My final question before we move on to our the usual ones to end up the show, we've touched on Instagram and, and that's clearly having an impact on all sorts of things in the art world, but less prevalent over here and more so over, over in the States. You've actually seen, I suppose, the commoditization of Instagram with buildings or, or kind of uh, businesses like Color Factory Museum of Ice Cream, which seem basically built with the Instagram user in mind. Do you feel kind of pressure or do artists feel pressure when they're working with buildings now to create kind of Instagrammable moments? Oh, it's absolutely a thing. People talk about that all the time. And the key to remember is that, yes, you know, it's important to think about how technology is shaping our world, but you have to differentiate from what is a flash in the pan and what is a timeless trend. Even when you look at how concerts have developed, when you go to see those large-scale live performances now, the way that the stage is set up is designed to create an iPhone documentary experience. In the you know past times, in the 70s and 80s and 90s and even early 2000s, when you would see a concert you know, you, your ideal scenario was to be up close in the front row. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm old school. If I go to a sporting event or a a live event of any sort, I'd much rather just watch it than uh, record it. But exactly uh, each their own. Yeah. If there's people listening who, who have projects, which they'd, they'd like to kind of uh, talk through with you or your team, what's the best way to get in touch? Well, the best way to get in touch with us is over email. And our email address is let's talk at n-i-n-e-d-o-t-a-r-t-s dot com. So let's talk at nine dot arts dot com, all spelled out. Awesome. Well, I'd love to hear if uh, if interesting projects do emerge as a result of this. So this brings us to our last, our last couple of questions for the show. Um, so first of all, Could you please recommend uh, myself and my listeners uh, a book that's influenced your professional thinking? When it comes to professional thinking, 
I am actually focused right now on being a better leader and guiding my team. And as our company is growing, I'm always looking at ways to support our growing staff. So for me, one of the best business books that I've read recently is one called The Best Place to Work by Ron Friedman. And he gives some specific examples of how to encourage your colleagues, how to encourage your team. Uh, and there are some ways to do that that aren't always monetary, but are ways you can show appreciation. For example, during the pandemic, we immediately began working from home, all of us. And in the early stage, we surveyed our staff and said, what is it that you miss about coming to the office? And almost everyone responded that they missed being around artwork. They missed being around this experience of having art in their lives because it's so prevalent in, in our field and in our world. So we instituted an art share program where everyone in the office got to select a work of art to take to their home office. And I see, of course, you've got great artwork in your home office. So that's where you keep your collection and talking points. <laughs> I'm not sharing that with my colleagues today for listening. No. What technology do you think has the greatest potential to change the status quo in the, in the art world? Well, I think AI is really the way of the future. And for us, the way that that will inform our work is taking our curators and turning them into super curators. So all of the data that we have around artists and artworks from around the world can be utilized to increase our speed of searching, finding artists, finding skill sets, uh, finding the right portfolios of people who match to the brands we're looking for. So that's where I think in our industry specifically, we'll see the greatest growth. When you're searching for artists, I know you've, you've got your own network, but again, is, is Instagram a, a kind of um, sourcing tool for that kind of thing or how how do you how do you go about kind of building up that that database yes well uh, we have uh, artists from all of all over the world who follow us and find us and we've we've recently instituted instagram as a formal a search method. Historically, we were searching from art schools, universities, the MFA programs, so the students who were graduating with their masters in fine arts, so that we were staying on the up and up always of who the next generation is, who's coming out on the scene, and then also, you know, understanding the established artist base as well. And now, uh, during the pandemic, we formally adopted uh, methods like Instagram, um, even, you know, Facebook, but we've adopted social media as a formal, formal research policy because it's a more um, inclusive way to search for artists and it can allow us to find a greater network of uh, diverse artists. It's a more democratic foundation for sharing your work and therefore we're, we're quite drawn to it. Um, that is interesting. And so that brings us on to our, our final question, which is, can you let us know what your um, your favorite building or indeed area is? Oh, my favorite building. <laughs> so one of my favorite buildings is in 
my hometown. I grew up on the Gulf of Mexico in the deep south. So seen Forrest Gump. Oh yeah. The area where Bubba Gump is from. So down on so in the deep south, right by the water. Yeah, the shrimp boat area, right? And there is a an old Civil War fort there called Fort Gaines. And it is in the shape of a five pointed, it's kind of like a Pentagon. It's a historic Civil War fort that protected our bay and our mainland. And I love the way that it's set up because the interior is a bit sunken. There's a building inside and uh, it's got a famous story behind it because as we were being attacked and as our port uh, was being blocked, the famous quote was, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. And uh, that's how that the Navy crew and the cannons kept firing to fend off uh, the blocking of our, of our port. Who was blocking you? Uh, the Yankees. Uh, <laughs> no, normally the British, we're normally, normally the ones up to make it. <laughs> this was an internal, uh, an, an internal struggle speak, here. Not you. <laughs> Um, well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking and uh, thank you for your time. All right. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it, Bert. Bye. Art can be a massive catalyst for changing or enhancing the perception and use of buildings and places. There are growing businesses like Martha's that are out there to help create and curate art strategies. There's also sterling work happening at the ULI, both in the US and in Europe, in terms of creating best practice guides for art strategies and means of measuring ROI when it comes to art. The links are on my website and in the show notes, so please do follow up with Martha's team or the ULI if you need further information on the topic. As ever, if you've enjoyed the episode, please do recommend the show to a friend or a colleague. It's hugely appreciated. Until next time, thank you for listening.